0: Welcome to the Out of the Woods Podcast. The top five headlines threat hunters need to be thinking of this week. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Podcast. This is Scott Poley. I'm here with Mike Mitchell. If you want to say hi, hey, everybody. And this weekly segment features the top five stories that threat hunters need to be thinking about, as well as our thoughts on the subject and hunting strategies. So with that, let's dive into the top five threat hunting headlines for the week of April 10th, 2023. So, Mike, I want to start off with one that's maybe a little more technical, because I think my other two are are less technical, more discussion oriented. But um, yeah, it was one from, I, you know, pulled off of Sideware kind of social, I guess they call it like news type feed. But it goes talks about the hackers hide backdoors behind malicious self-extracting archives, and this really touched on the WinRAR self-extracting, you know, SFX archives, and how they're being used to install persistent backdoors. And they're they're basically taking advantage of the utility manager, uh, which is a legitimate Windows, you know, accessibility application, and it basically configures a debugger, which basically another executable in the Windows registry that it automatically starts and can actually start before login. And then there some of the other techniques that the adversaries use was there's some setup parameters you can also put into these SFXs or SS, FS, F S files to kick off other types of execution as well that would basically run as system as far as privileges go. Mm-hmm. So Just like everything, you know, this was kind of derived from the CrowdStrike article. So that's where a lot of the technical data sits. So when I, you know, pivoted over to that, there's a couple things that they mentioned. And one was a registry key. They they, Well, they describe how it all works, but the big key, the thing I keyed off of the most was this registry key in the local machine hive. And it's in the Windows NT current version image file execution options and refers to like almost a command line looking value for a debugger being assigned there with the path to the actual executable which kind of makes an easy thing to look for when it comes to this right as long as you know about this ahead of time because usually registry keys all of them aren't being monitored all at once they kind of get this you know picked up on by edr tools based on their own research and the stuff they build or by some custom logging configuration that users turn on in their environment either via some object monitoring stuff in Windows or Sysmon specific. So there's a good way to at least start, you know, looking for this type of technique to be taken advantage of just by looking at those registry keys. But it kind of bring up a, a point or makes me think of a point that it's worth bringing up. And that is, you know, I've talked about profiling, I'm, I'm big into profiling because it just lets me understand data and environments faster and better. But, you know, the question I, when you see these weird extensions, Pop up, you know, are so uncommon to you, you know, maybe as a security practitioner or or just an IT person. And you're like, what is that? You know, that's a, that already should be like a red flag in some instances. I get it. There's some, you know, applications you might run on servers and, you know, for some proprietary software. And, but when you see something that show up on just an endpoint, like a user's endpoint, you know, there might be either software that you don't know that they've installed or have or use, or it could be just kind of a weird, thing so you know something when i think of profiling uh is you know trying to parse out extensions from either things that are executing or things that you know look like they may be you know part of a command line you know they're pointing to files or if you have specific file create rules turned on in general um sometimes you can you can pick up on some of those things but you know it's it's I had a question been, so when
1: you when you're talking about the profiling side of it you're talking about some of these um interesting registry keys or extensions does this kind of go into what we kind of always talk about the visibility of understanding the normal kind of activity and environment things that might stand out kind of the anomalous type of activities
0: yeah so comes out with that but you know one of the things that you know makes me think about this is you know how phishing uh avenues have changed using iso files right Right. And how often were you seeing ISOs as attachments in emails at all? I mean, when I first saw ISOs, they were always really huge disk images that you couldn't fit in email. Correct. Um, yeah. So, you know, but that's a, that's a glaring, like, why is this changing? And, you know, for their instance, one of the reasons why ISOs are used is it avoids mark of the web. And so I don't know if um, certain files the operating system will flag to add the mark of the web to. And, you know, they can't be inclusive for extensions they don't really know about or think about. Um, So that might be a justification why we see these, but, you know, it just goes to show that there's obviously reasons why attackers pick this. In this case, there's obviously they can get system privileges this way, as well as kind of flying low into the radar with not being detected by a lot of EDR endpoint tools. Yeah, I would Um,
1: would assume that if you profiled most organizations um, outside of maybe IT engineering, not a lot of people would use ISOs on a day to day. Right, and so oh,
0: absolutely.
1: Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I mean, it's it's just the way the attackers kind of progress and mature, right? They probably looked at to your point, nobody's really tracking ISOs as a, kind of an extension or a process right now from a malicious standpoint. So let's start using that, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it seems like again the, the the least amount of effort to get to a place where you can exploit something seems to be their uh, their their kind of
0: mo. Right? What's also interesting, you know, and it, I think it's a bigger challenge in some instances for global companies, because like, for instance, you know, WinRAR is not as popular in the States, like 7-Zip is, but apparently like RAR files in Europe are way more popular. So, you know, if you're looking for weird extensions, sometimes, you know, depending on regions that also can influence the types of software and files people use. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, that was my biggest take on this was, you know, there's some interesting, easy things to kind of look for now that you know about it, right? It's hard to go retroactively back if you don't have the data. It's a novel kind of attack, in my opinion. But I expect to see more of these types of things, you know, with, you know, kind of out of bounds execution. If I just gave it a name, but. (laughs) Coin it. But yeah, so, so yeah, paying attention to extensions or where extensions can be kind of seen from your data might be a valuable insight. That's all I got. What do you think, anything that's, else?
1: No, you know, I think that's, that's that's kind of right on with at least how I kind of referenced the article. I mean, we, we hear about extensions all the time, the, the SFX files, I mean, if it's a, a novel method, they're still using kind of lay of the land binaries, right? I think mm-hmm. they're called out utilman as a, yeah. kind of the next legitimate Windows application that was used in the attack chain phase. And so again, as we always kind of reference back to the hunting process, some of these things could probably be detected on pretty easily, but it's really about, you know, how they're using some of these uh you know, living off the land binaries or kind of already established uh you know processes on a you know Windows box or Linux box, whatever, just to get around and exploit through some of these security measures. So it's always good that, you know, You know, CrowdStrike's picking up on these things as, you know, they're one of the largest EDR tools in the the space today. But again, being able to kind of track this internally ahead of them, kind of seeing it from a research perspective is always a kind of a good methodology.
0: Absolutely. So what do you got?
1: So so I think this popped up yesterday for me, but the hackernews.com talked about uh, MSI, falling victim to a ransomware attack. So MSI, kind of popular computer computer company, uh, I know it was always kind of sold alongside of, you know, Alienware and some of those other organizations, and computer, you know, companies that sell, you know, hardware. Um, I believe they have some um, kind of like motherboards, I believe. I know you're real big into the PC side of the world. So have you run across MSI? Have you used them at all yourself?
0: Yeah, so it's always um, for a decent low cost like motherboard and stuff. I know MSI always comes up, so it's pretty popular amongst budget builds as well um, for computers. So big name,
1: right? Right. It sounds like they've resumed operations. They said there's no financial impact, significant financial impact to the business. I would love to kind of hear the the after action of this, but it'd be interesting. You know, this could be a situation where there could end up being kind of a supply chain side attack in the future right i think it's going to take them some time to understand how ingrained that potential actor got on their system i know you know it was initially kind of a ransomware but that could be a a, you know maybe a potential distraction on some other hooks that they might have gained inside the environment msi did urge all of their users to update uh their bios and firmware so you know with that inclination and with that communication there could have been some you know potential you know effect on the kind of the native firmware and bios right so all of the users using those systems you know it could end up being a a very interesting supply side type of attack so and i guess it was tracked by zscaler which is interesting Uh, and i kind of call out a new ransomware game called money message Mm. Uh, so I believe this probably is one of those organizations that, you know, set their hooks and try to get, you know, a financial outcome pretty immediately. Uh, I guess they also call out Acer, same type of breach happened with them with a theft of 160 gigs of data. So uh, it looks like they're going off some of these hardware companies, right? And and this could lead into another pretty decent supply side attack. And I think the next argument will talk about kind of piggybacks off of that. But you have any kind of initial thoughts on this article?
0: Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the ransomware and then it kind of pivoted to what their response was. And I always kind of wonder, is this response just them to communicate good practices to the users about just obtaining proper firmware and BIOS updates from them and downloading from their official sites? Or is there a concern that people might have, you know, potentially malicious firmware or BIOS, um, you know, either from them or you know, pulled from a site where you know the attackers are able to weaponize something like that. Because that's obviously a big deal, right? When 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 malware and things get into the firmware or BIOS of a computer, that's really one, hard to detect and two, sometimes can be hard to get rid of. Uh, so that's that's the part that worries me the most. But like I said, I don't know if it really is traction there because you know they think there's a risk or they just want to kind of do their best efforts to say, hey, just remember guys get your stuff from us, you know, in case something, there is some fallout, you know?
1: Yeah, I'd be curious. So if you communicate out there's an update to the firmware BIOS, what did they update? There had to have been some inclination of something they needed to patch, um, or maybe they just had full control over that code release cycle. So that always kind of is kind of a flag for me to say, okay, there was something that they actually patched. What was it and what was the reason for it? Right.
0: Um, Yeah. And another thing I, Makes me wonder, I don't use, I haven't used MSI board in a really long time. But Sometimes they have third party tools that help monitor when updates occur. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know in past instances of, of specific breaches, usually on associated ransomware where attackers leverage that distribution that's just set up internally from them to their customers to like push out malware. Right. Right. Um, So, so yeah, if, if, you know, something like that can also come up, it didn't, wasn't mentioned here, but those are like where my head goes for what are all the potentials for why, you know, they want to make sure to push people directly to them for anything they need from a software Mm -hmm. perspective.
1: Yeah. And these are always worrisome, right? Because you're talking about direct to consumer products and Mm -hmm. And those individuals that are buying in the cyborgs probably don't understand how to kind of protect themselves from a security perspective if one of these attacks happen, other than updating the firmware, BIOS, or just turning off the computer until there's a fix, right? They might not have been notified by this um, as well. I mean, you know, sometimes those emails go into the ether. If I'm getting right. an email from the from the product company, right? I think it might be ad or spam, so I might not see a notification to update. Um, and I don't I haven't used one of these boards in a long time, but I'm guessing normal operations, they won't be flagged by a you know, a firmware a BIOS update if they're in their operating system. Uh depending on the operating system, if there are drivers installed, right? So this could be something where it kind of just sits out in the wild for a long time if they actually
0: were exploited in that way. Yeah. Anytime you talk about components that you know from a supply chain perspective, those are always the most worrisome. Software is a much easier fix, even though it's It can distribute much faster, but when you start talking about components and things associated to what people install hardware-wise, it's a lot harder to get rid of and root out.
1: Yep. All right. So we can move on to the next one.
0: Yeah. So the next one I want to touch on really, you know, I was taken there based on the hacker's news, but it was, you know, CISA warns of five actively exploited security flaws, you know, urgent action required. So I always find these interesting because the first thing I always look at is what is the date? or year associated with the CVEs for one, because it almost seems like it never happens the year of like, you know, we're in 2023. Um, It usually never seems to be the 2023 vulnerabilities that are commonly being exploited. Um, And then two, I like to look at, well, what type of software is it? Is it third-party software or is it stuff that's kind of vulnerabilities associated with the operating system? Um, Because it, it kind of tells me two things. One, how good is the world at patching? You know, when we say the world, just you know, how everybody, anybody that sees it can see as far as active exploitation of this. How how quick are they at patching, and how good are they monitoring third party tools? Right, that's like another area that when even some people have mature patching processes, they don't always address their third party software risks when it comes to that assessment. And in this case, I thought it was interesting because you know, three of the main vulnerabilities of the five were associated with the Veritas backup, which, you know, is, you know, said to be a very good backup solution, but, and then two things came to mind there. One is backup anything is going to be privileged. So it's a great thing to be able to take advantage of because if you can, you're going to have kind of an elevated set of privileges, I would think, because the software would need that. Um, And then two, it's also one of those processes people are like afraid to break. Right. Does that slow down that process? Like, was it something they're aware of, but they're like, well, you know, backups are really important based on these compliance, you know, you know, requirements or the the risk of based on how our business models are or whatever. And sometimes that can stall that, but it just kind of proves to show that there is, you should still apply the same practices and philosophies, regardless of what the problem is. You just might have to spend more resources or, or, more planning time to figure out how to do that appropriately. And then the other two, uh, the Microsoft Windows certificate dialog, that was one that was picked up, but that the year for that was 2019. So I thought that was interesting. And then there was a recent one with the Arm Alley GPU kernel driver, which is 2023, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, okay. It's interesting that it was like, that's what was targeted and it was the most popular, uh, but it's dealing with, you know, Android smartphones. Right. So, so that's something that I know phones being an attack surface, there's a lot of human interaction with phones more than laptops. So, it's a great place to go. And Android seemed to typically hit more for like the let's just kind of spray and pray activity, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on whatever initial access factor they're trying to take. But either way, that one didn't completely surprise me. Uh, But yeah, that's kind of what I thought when I looked at this. You know, it's always good to know what's being exploited. But it's really more telling is, you know, do your does your software accountability and tracking and patch life cycles are they better than what you see in these reports? I think that's kind of how I would measure myself to something like this. So yeah. That's what I got. What do you got on that?
1: Yeah, so kind of diving into their catalog, so the known exploited vulnerability catalog. It was interesting. They they flagged criteria in order for the catalog to be updated by the vulnerability. One being that the vulnerability has been assigned to common vulnerabilities and exposure, DVE exposure, ID. Mm-hmm. There's reliable evidence that the vulnerability has been actively exploited in the wild, and that there's a clear remediation action for the vulnerability, such as a vendor provided update. So those three, ca- those three criteria are really interesting to me. Uh, the first two, right, it makes sense that the, You apply it with the CVE, but they have to see it being actively exploited in the wild. Uh, An active exploit includes, you know, a proof of concept. A lot of times, you know, there'll be like a GitHub repo with the exploit. There'll be, you know, notices or at least organizations or honeypots that have detected that particular thing in some manner. But that third criteria is really interesting to me, that there has to be a clear remediation action for the vulnerability. So with their notice and notification, if there's not a clear remediation action, I don't know if we'd get that same notification as in that article that you sent us, right? So let's call it a Microsoft vulnerability. We had a recent one that popped, I guess a couple of weeks ago. There was a clear kind of remediation on that, but if there wasn't, should we still be notified of that vulnerability, right? There's at least some mitigation actions that you might be able to take. being aware of a vulnerable entity in your environment is still good to be able to track maybe the behaviors post exploitation. you know if there's a way that you can sandbox them or contain them in a segment of the environment it would still be useful to understand so yeah, you no, know, I know this uh system does a really good job of of notifying people based on those three criteria, but it' be interesting if they had a subset based on one or any number of those criteria to be notified. Because I would love to understand if there's a if there's a vulnerability that was disclosed, even though if there's not a remediation, I would still love to know about it, right? At least be able to track internally.
0: I was gonna say, I mean, it kind of aligns sometimes, like their way of doing it with those three criteria kind of aligns with like how Microsoft does their updates and kind of not, because there's really okay. two ways, right? Microsoft will, if there's a known vulnerability and they need to put a patch in place, they try to keep people up to date, like here's this vulnerability, here's potential mitigations you could try to do while we try to come up with the solution or yeah. you don't know about all these vulnerabilities that they have found or have been disclosed to them. And then when they release their patch, they said, this patch addresses these set of vulnerabilities. And you're like, Oh, and then, you know, hoping that stirs people to patch because you know, that becomes the race for, Hey, is someone going to try to now figure out how to use these vulnerabilities or, or yeah. not? So, so kind of similar there, where they only really release the information with the solution, you know?
1: Yeah. I'd rather have the information. And know about it before you know I knock down the solution, right? So that's always interesting, kind of chicken before the egg conversation that that tends to happen.
0: Anything else on that? No, that was really like I said, more of a discussion piece, kind of thought piece, but yeah. Uh, All right, so my
1: next article is again from Hacker News. This is around hackers flooding the npm NPM open source packer repository uh, with bogus packages, causing a DDoS attack. So This has been happening over time. Again, we talk about supply chain attacks. NPM is kind of a package repository, just like Python has PIP. A lot of these programming languages have have these package and module repositories that you can quickly load these modules into your development environment. And so there has been times where these malicious actors will upload packages that are malicious. And one of the ways they did that was kind of around typo squatting. One of the really interesting case was around Python. They have a requests module, a request module, and they typo-squatted it. And you know, you punch in if you if you misspell the request module or forget the s, you know, you're going to download a package that isn't. We'll call it signed, right? There is some malicious code in that, and so it takes time for these package resource repositories to sift through a lot of those packages that are at least submitted. And find some of these vulnerabilities. And so, in this campaign, now we're seeing these attackers flood these package management solutions with, I think they said, um, I think they said they bumped it up to like 1.4 million from 800 packages that were released on NPM. So, just kind of spamming that uh, that solution. So, you have to imagine from the back end being able to verify, sign off, and then even maintain that repository and make sure that there aren't malicious. Kind of we'll call it poisoning of those repos it's hard to do right and so now you get into again that supply chain uh side of attack where you get into the log for shells spring for shells uh kind of the solar winds type of events that are very hard to mitigate from a security perspective so i thought this is really interesting that they're kind of going about it in a different way where they're just spamming it to make sure that it's hard to detect on that kind of stuff so you know, I think we talked about this last week a little bit, but you have any immediate thoughts on on this type of event?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's interesting like one, it's a great way to try to get your hooks in places um uh, by you know getting people to pull down kind of malicious packages when they think they're getting something legitimate. i mean, it's I guess the kind of idea of social engineering and phishing in general, but you know through different avenues you're you're kind of also targeting more technical people which may have more access in some instances, right if they're in an organization. But it's clear the attacker didn't understand the infrastructure behind this attack very well, right, because their intentions weren't to do a denial of service. It was really to get their stuff out there. So, I, you know, that speaks to, like, the aggression of the attack is kind of speaks to also some urgency sure. for um, – or ignorance, one of the two, right? They just didn't know and they're like, whoops, that didn't know it was supposed to happen like that, right? Kind of like the first worm, right? I got the name of the worm, but the worm that just wasn't supposed to take down the internet back when DARPA days and it did.
1: Oh,
0: yep. Um, Well, kind of the same idea. They either didn't know that it was gonna happen here or there was a need to try to get the, you know, hooks in certain places quickly in order to, that's why the campaign was so aggressive. I think this is. I think you run into this type of aggression too when they were trying to do like, you know, kind of search order hijacking and stuff like that, uh, or search engine, I should say. That's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say, right? To try to get their results to the top, to, so people are pulling down packages and doing things that way. Yeah. I, I think that also shows, uh, at least from an attack side you know, what are some of the things that you should be weary of when using that technique? Because depending on what you're targeting or what, you know, infrastructure you're targeting through that is going to be an easy way to kind of identify that you're throwing things out there to attack, whether you care or not. But yeah, that was like the big thing was just kind of like the behavior of using this like, you know, really good technique, but being overly aggressive and obviously causing different issues, you know, whether that was expected or not. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking about
1: yeah yeah uh, it's you know with these being kind of open source it's a little scary right so you have mm-hmm. thousands of organizations using these package managers pulling in these packages into their products right and so it's really hard when an organization comes to you and say all right give me a list of all the modules in all the packages that you're using across your environment let's say from an audit or insurance or it might even be kind of an ir engagement and to build that that build materials on those tools it's hard to do right but it's also hard to understand all of the things that are kind of linked together to make things work from a development
0: standpoint so so question for you i don't yeah. know if you know this i i sure i have probably track and research and figure it out but when you want to review your packages you know through npm are you able to look at the package publication date
1: uh they do have it yes and they do have the author as well so there are some organizations out there that are doing some interesting things around tracking you know authors and actors and doing beginning yeah. on the npm side that that are kind of third-party software sas organizations but I do have some of those details and there are organizations within cybersecurity that are, are starting to come out that help with understanding visibility. So, you know, there are some solutions out there. It's not, it's not as bleak as I just kind of mentioned, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it does cost sometimes, right? It, it will cost to get that, that level of um, visibility basically on that kind of complex. Yeah.
0: Interface. I'm just thinking like, if I were to look for anything weird, I would probably be looking at, you know, based on the information kind of displayed in the images, Right. Uh, like, are, do we have any packages that show being published, you know, within the last week to month or whatever, as far as publication times?
1: Yeah. And you'll track that. But you also have to realize, like, updates, too. Right. So that'll kind of get pulled into the. Yeah. You
0: know, I didn't know it. if that would count is like if there's a date for original publication versus like last update. You know, I don't know how they like what they track because I haven't really dug in that deep, to be honest. I just kind of pull things down like these people do. Just yep. use stuff.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm taking a peek actually right now. So it'll show you kind of weekly downloads. It'll show you the size, the last published date, um, the versioning, and the licensing. Um, so okay. there is some information up there. So, I mean, if it was published yesterday with no downloads, it's probably not something you want to pull into your solution. Right, right. Cool. So move on to the last one.
0: Yeah, so this one, you know, I started with the Hacker News, and it was based on the Iran, Iran. Iran-based hackers caught carrying out destructive attacks under ransomware guys. It just caught my eye because I feel like ransomware, as much as we give ransomware groups like, oh, this is what they do, they're very simplistic and they do whatever. I mean, that kind of destructive or destructive capability, I think is very uh, useful tool set for nation state actors as well when things escalate to certain levels, right? I mean, we've seen it with like the Ukraine-Russian conflict war. Um, but in, in this article, I was reading through it and there wasn't a lot of details specific. You know, it was kind of summarized some things. So I, I did pivot over to the main blog from Microsoft that was hitting on it. And, you know, I just wanted to bring this specific article up because the topic was interesting, but the information provided was, I don't know, I have a hard time when I read reports that tell you just enough to get you interested, it feels more like a sales pitch than a benefit. Or right. if I don't have a good security background or good understanding of how some of these things work, this report in itself, if my leadership was really interested in it would take me a lot of time mm-hmm. to basically develop for, to, look at what we potentially have to think about, you know, alternate methods and everything that's happening in this attack. Uh, they do a good job, summarizing everything. You know, they talk about they install web shells, you know, they add local user accounts, elevated privileges to local administrator. I mean, those things you can kind of, once you know where that sits, you can figure that out. <clears throat> they also mentioned some legitimate tools, which I thought was like the best thing they mentioned. Because a lot of times when I see tools being mentioned, especially open source tools, I usually go play with those tools and figure out, well, what is the behavior if I were to install them? Is that easy to detect? What is the behavior if I use them? What does that look like? You know, what arguments do I need to use with the tool to make it work? Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. It talked about installing customized PowerShell script backdoors and, you know, remote execution with with, um, SMB, I forgot the protocol, and then WMI. So, you know, they do a good job discussing some things that, you know, like I said, you can kind of pull out, but this is a hard report to read. It's a great report to read if you're a management and you want to just understand, right, what's going on. What's the what's the takeaway from this attack? Well, there's the takeaway. What do we do about it? You kind of have to do more work or find another report. Right. So I you know, we always talk about when we find really good written reports like oh this is like a great standard it's got this 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 and then kind of list off criteria this is kind of the I think the other end of the spectrum like not necessarily a bad report just the wrong audience right? right uh so so yeah it's it's a great summary of everything that's going on and this is the kind of detail I would want to know after I develop technical things But it does show some of the capability at least just enough to get you worried right of you know some uh, Iran's capability with their cyber, where they're able to get the right creds to get into the create uh, API access for the exchange, so that they can get in and pull things down. They're able to get some access to the Azure Azure AD Connect agents, um, and you know do things with that. So they did kind of do a full scale, like a much larger larger attack than we you know seen from typical ransomware groups, right? So they're. Uh, that right there, kind of shows some capability differences as well. And then the mitigations and, and detections, you know, they mention a lot of, well, we have these alerts already kind of built into the, our stuff. So it kind of was more sales pitchy as far as, hey, these things were being detected. Like for instance, it says anom- you know, anomaly detected in ASEP registry, which is your your run, run keys and registry. I don't think mm-hmm. it hurts for them to put what was in the run key, you know. <laughs> So it's just things that, like that. I think that was cheap
1: outside of everything else, right? You know.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know. And you know, some, maybe sometimes when you see reports like this, it could be tied to something that may be classified, you know. So it's like, oh well we can talk about it in general, but we can't talk specific. Yeah, I get it. But these reports are really hard to keep management away from so that you can spend time on reports that may matter. And then this is something good to have in like the back of your head or kind of think about, you know, um, you know, like a lot of times when I build threat hunts, you know, I have data to look at to help me drive building a threat hunt. There's some times where I just have an idea, right? Like, hey, you know, I hear about this a lot. I wonder what this is, and I can spend time researching this specific thing, which is great. You know, sometimes you can come up with really um, well-rounded threat hunts that way because you're not, fo- you're not like blindsided by all the other possibilities. Um, you can be more inclusive. So, but with this, that would, this would just kick off you know hundreds of those which are very time consuming because there's not enough specific stuff uh yep. so just just a hard report to manage i don't want to say it's bad it's just not beneficial to the level that i think would help a lot more people
1: yeah i mean i got to imagine a manager or a ciso or somebody seeing the title of this that yeah. you know ran can get into your environment silly credentials and delete all your cloud instances right like, like-
0: and they're like, what are we doing about this? Like, well, we have some things. Well, will they work? I don't know, because I don't know what they did. You know, like, that's not a good conversation.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they can steal your email addresses and impersonate right. everybody in your organization. So, like, it's it's it reads as dire. And, yeah, I mean, if, if they get their hooks in and do what they can do in an environment, absolutely. Are there some attack chain phase kind of... Goldilocks zones in there that allow them to do all this. I'm sure not every organization is going to be susceptible to everything on this list. So yeah, to your point, good high level article, but there needs to be some more technical things to say, here's what you need to look for and go after not just mass Azure resource deletion. Okay. Right. Like okay. How do I approach this now? Right. And there's some, probably some things you can do from an engineering perspective to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but it is, it is, you know, it reads as very dire.
0: Uh, yeah. So like I guess it's not the report that you want to have between technical people and management.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Absolutely not. It, um it creates a breakdown in communication just because you're going to have questions and answers that get fly by each other don't really address each other.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we can talk about the different report on here a lot. It's a great, great resource. This might be good for a high level. Maybe this is somewhere in between where it's, a, technical manager that can dissect this and then understand maybe some after action items that you need to go do. Mm. But I don't know if I've ever seen a really good article for the top level, like CISO managers, right? Do you approach maybe a non-technical CISO or a very technical CISO in a manner that allows them to maybe to disseminate down to their team what needs to happen post- of an understanding of these type of events so i don't i don't know if i've seen one out there that does a really good job of that and we've seen the highly technical but i don't know if we've seen the the other end of it
0: yeah i guess it's always tough because i feel like whatever report you write to that high level you're really just creating the substance for them to ask the right questions right but the questions can't be so general that you know there's not really a good answer either so that's probably really hard to write to that audience for that specific reason. Um Hey, maybe Chad GPT
1: uh, can do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've used it for some target audience stuff. That might be yeah. it'd be interesting if if I could take this whole report and say, hey, if I were this level, what would you, you know, focus on? You're but, right. Uh but yeah, so that's a good point.
1: I'm sure we'll find out soon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Microsoft's already embedded it, so maybe they'll they'll start spitting out some blogs that are uh who knows, maybe this one was written by Chat GPT. <laughs> who
0: knows?
1: Anyway, no, I think uh, again, great discussion for this week. I know you have some things that you want to highlight.
0: Yeah, so we have our second top cover this Wednesday, April twelfth, from twelve to one. It really focuses on the management side of things when it comes to threat hunting, and, it, and it's really gonna harp on you know KPIs and metrics and what does that mean? Like we did a, a first discussion on that, and this is kind of a, another discussion on the same topic, but a kind of a similar slash additional approach. Um, and then we have our live podcast, April 20th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's where, you know, you and me and Lee get in a fun, interactive Discord discussion with people with some topics we want to cover. And in this uh, specific live podcast, we'll actually have a guest, too, from you know, a friend of ours. So we'll be able to have some conversations there. It'll be a lot of fun, you know, see their experience, their perspective. And then we'll have another hands-on workshop, you know, hunting for impact. You know, we've been targeting the different tactics and the miter verticals for our workshops for the hands-on stuff. So Lee Arkenal will be leading that one. That's a really good opportunity to get your hands-on real data and tools and kind of go through that hunting process um, and kind of get familiar with, you know, what that could look like. So those are i think the three things so i think that concludes all the things we want to share there so just want to thank everyone for joining our out of the woods threat hunting podcast we look forward to syncing back up next week and with that that closes out the top five threat hunting headlines for the week of april 10th 2023
1: all right great talking with you scott and happy hunting everybody
0: yeah likewise happy hunting Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.